Vintage brand is the story of American sporting culture, combining our rich history, traditions, rituals, and pageantry. Weaving together more than a century of American sports memories and images, it defines what tradition really means. Come experience the history and rituals. Remember and honor the legends. Feel the passion and pageantry of the past. Welcome to the greatest collection of American sports history and images, all reproduced on fan apparel and merchandise. Welcome to Vintage Brand. The Redbirds' 1980 success was defined by their colorful future Hall of Fame manager, Whitey Herzog. Uh, that was a devastating team, and a team, you know, they called it Whitey Ball. Uh, the way that you guys played, uh, Bush Stadium, the turf, etc., fast game that you played. As I talk to you here today, Tom, in 2021, I'm almost like I'm talking to somebody. It's like ancient history from another era. Do you kind of feel that a little bit when you see the game today, as opposed to how you guys thrive with a whole different style then? Yeah, it is. It's uh, very different today. You know, the whole mentality is different. Um, you know, they, uh, I, I think the analytic uh, department that runs today's ball club, you know, their thought process is that they don't want to risk an out. Uh, by you know getting somebody thrown out stealing, but mm. um, you know our mentality was uh, you know we're playing in a national league that had huge ballparks back then, so you know nobody really had a lot of runs because you know you had the big cookie cutter uh, astroturf stadiums that were had huge uh, gaps in the outfield, and uh, you know the guys that would lead the league in home runs were in the thirties. Right, something like that. So, you know, the uh, you know the game was uh, was a more uh, more all around uh, game that uh, you know you had to create run scoring scenarios, and of course our forte was speed, which helped us on offense and on defense. And uh, you know, I was part of that. I, you know, for, for me to be. Uh, you know, even though I was hitting third, I you know I, I came up as a leadoff hitter, so I had a base dealer's mentality as well. And yeah, you know, I believe I stole. I don't know how many I stole that year. Maybe thirty-five yeah. or something. Yeah, thirty-one. Like yep. Yeah, yeah. So and I, and I think I hit thirty, uh, thirty some doubles and had a bunch of triples. So you know, we were uh, you know, our offense was, you know, I, I think would be successful in any era. I'd like to go out and play against some of these teams today because. You know, yeah. Don't don't hold guys on base, and uh, you know you got these big leg kicks. They're trying to throw a hundred on every pitch, and, and we <laughs> right. we would just drive teams crazy uh, today the way they play. But um, you know it's different. You know I I, I don't want to criticize. Cause there's a lot of great players playing in today's game, and uh, certainly I'm not criticizing anything. But it, it was it was just different. You know. You, I think I prefer watching baseball back then because you, you saw a more well-rounded game. You don't see hitters punching out like three or four times every game. And uh, hmm. you, you see guys putting in play and moving base runners along and hit and run. And, uh, you know, just it was just, to me, a, a more all-around fun game. Much, much better game. I concur. As uh, as a fellow dinosaur, I concur of, of the same era. I miss it. Ball and play, etc. 
And uh, you mentioned about how many sack flies, you know, just the situational hitting time, getting the ball in the air when you had to get it in the air, uh, yeah. getting the ball to the right side when you needed to move a guy from second to third, you know, things that are somewhat of a lost dot. But I would take my chances with a whitey ball team to be able to uh, succeed. I agree with you. Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, you know, Whitey was, uh, he was a genius. I mean, he, I, I don't know that there's ever been a manager that has been better than Whitey. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know that, that he gets credit for being such a forward-thinking guy back then. But, you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, all, all the analytics of today, he, he did that on his own. You know, he did it organic. He had starts yeah. in his that he would keep for every hitter. And, uh, you know, he, he was really ahead of his time. But uh, what what made Whitey special was his ability to manage the game. You know, it's the game within the game. And he, he was great at handling uh, pitching staff. He was a great situational manager. He, he knew when to bring the infield in and keep it back. And, uh, you know, he, he always, you know, he played the percentages in, in a time when uh, that wasn't in vogue, really. He, he was, uh, yeah. back then, it was, you know, managers managed by the seat of their pants and by gut feelings and, and that kind of stuff. Mm. And so uh, Whitey did some of that, but he also, uh, he, he was really uh, prepared. And I, and I think that uh, for our style of play, that, that really helped us win a lot of games. And you won a lot in 1985, uh, 101-1. And uh, three ahead of the Mets, who would be the world, the, the, the hated Mets, the pond scum, as the Cardinal fans refer, uh, that would become uh, the world champions the next year. Uh, that NLCS, the uh, uh, Game 6 and 7, are remembered for a couple of home runs uh, that, that were game winners uh, off of uh, the beleaguered Tom Niedenfuhrer with, uh, with uh, Jack Clark and then, of course, uh, the wizard, Ozzy Smith, you had a pretty big one in Game Three off of Bob Welch yourself, and uh, hit three thirty-three in that NLCS against the Dodgers to, to uh, be able to propel the Cardinals back to the World Series. Yeah, that was my uh, of the three uh, the three playoffs and World Series that that I was in. That was by far my best one. You know, I really had some big hits against uh, some very good pitching that the Dodgers were throwing out there. I had a big uh, double off of. Uh, Fernando that drove in a couple runs and then uh, the home run off of Welch and got uh, a couple big hits off Berkheiser and uh, yeah they, uh, they they had a great pitching staff and that was a good series you know we yeah. we uh, I don't think people remember we we lost the first two games of that series out in LA and then came back and and swept them at home uh, and and the middle game of that three-game sweep was the game that Vince Coleman got run over by the tarp. The tarp, yep. And, and, you know, didn't play for the rest of the season, which I think think cost us winning the World Series that year because you take a weapon like that out of your lineup and it just changed everything for us. And, uh, but yeah, that was a, that was a great series. And, uh, you know, Ozzy's, uh, Ozzy's home run off Needenshire to win uh, game four, I guess. Or game five, that, that was to win game five. That was just incredible. And then, of course, Jack Clark's huge home run out in L.A. Yeah. Uh, that, that was like, uh, that was one of those moments in Cardinal history. It was it's like, uh, almost like the Kennedy assassination. You know, where were you when Kennedy got shot? In, in <laughs> yeah. St. Louis, it was, where were you when Jack, Jack Clark? Were 
And then it was, uh, of course, the uh, the I seventy World Series with uh, the Kansas City Royals. And uh, well, you 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 know what's coming next? Up three two, in Game Six, and uh, there was uh, the the play uh, with uh, George Orta uh, leading off one to nothing game. Uh, Todd Worrell on the mound, and uh, if anybody had a great look at that play at first, and to I guess how egregious the the mistake was, it was you. When you go back and look at the film and and the protest that followed. Uh, I, I guess the only good thing is that we have instant replay now. It does no consolation for any members of the '85 Cardinals uh, of, of yourself being right in the forefront, Tom. No, it doesn't. You know, my my only wish, looking back on that, was that Don Denkinger was standing right there beside me when when the play happened, which was it was an option for him. He could have he had the choice to either move into foul territory. Or move into fair territory to make that call, and he chose to, uh, you know, move into foul territory. So he was actually moving from from his initial position towards home plate in foul territory. Hmm. So the base the base runner was traveling in the opposite direction that he was moving to make the call, and I think that's what messed him up because um, had he been looking at it from my vantage point, which was straight on. Uh, from from like a forty five degree angle towards second base, uh, there there was there was no way you could miss the call. But mm. you know he got he got a little discombobulated in in his uh, efforts to get himself in position and and really uh, blew the call. And of course you know you don't have replay. The only thing you can do is argue. But that just makes things worse because. Yeah, it, it's already a tense situation, and the arguing and hollering and screaming, and it, it, it just gets the you know it amps up the emotion of a already high emotional situation, and you know that that was our downfall. You know, it was like uh, all of a sudden, instead of you know uh, an easy first out of the ninth inning, now it's a traumatic oh. blown call turned into a rhubarb. Uh, you know, and and just some crazy things happened after that that I I attribute to the, just the high emotional uh, you know level that 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 call threw everything into. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it uh, carried over to uh, uh, Game Seven and and uh, the Royals uh, in, a, in a, a blowout victory in Game Seven and uh, and uh, the uh, the loss of uh, the opportunity to win that second kind of the missing ring. Uh, for the core guys of which uh, you were one of the leaders of uh, in, in that in that era, and yeah, after that was, a, that was a heartbreaker because that yeah that, that was the year where we really deserved to win a World Series. I mean, we were we were far and away the best team in baseball that year, and yeah, um, you know, to lose it in that way, you know, we really never recovered. From that. I mean, we came back to spring training the following year in '86, and and you know, put on a good face that. You know, we can do this again, but, uh, you know, we were still reeling from that. And we, we got off the uh, shaky start. The Mets got off to a great start. And then, uh, you know, things just kind of snowballed. And before we knew it, we were 12 games out in mm. uh, June, and the Mets were running away with it. Now, you know, what we did do is, is uh, in the 86 season, is come back and have a real solid second half that kind of, 
it really took uh, the, the, the hangover, if you will, uh, didn't subside fully until uh, a great bounce back year in uh, 1987. Uh, again, you look at the numbers, they uh, hit just 94 home runs as a team, the fewest in the NL. You won 95 games and you hit 94 home runs. For any of the young listeners to this program, yep, that can happen. And uh, whitey ball and small ball thrived. You, you scored the second most runs in the National League. Uh, came all the way back. Uh, Ozzy himself drove in 75 runs that year without hitting a home run, which is pretty remarkable. And uh, came all the way back and uh, and beat out the uh, the defending world champions, the, uh, the dreaded Mets, uh, for the division. Uh, that 87 season, you look back, and I think you know what's coming next again. Uh, April 18th of 1987, it was early in what became a pennant-winning, your third pennant-winning season. Uh, it was the Mets. It was a big crowd, and uh, it was a promotion at Bush Stadium that night that involved seat cushions. And, well, Tom, you could probably take it from there because I know you've recounted this story many times. It's still remarkable to go back and watch it as to what transpired in that game. One of the surreal moments that, uh, as I often say on this show, as long as they're talking about baseball, they'll probably talk about uh, about that night and that incident. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that, that night become known as seat cushion night and anyone who's a Cardinal <laughs> fan knows exactly what happened on seat cushion night that that was uh, as you said an early uh, you know early April series with the Mets and of course any game that we played with the Mets was big any series we played with them because we knew uh, you know the road to the uh, National League Championship Series went through either New York or St. Louis so you know, even though it was an April game, you know, they were all huge games. And, and that particular game, you know, it went back and forth. There were uh, lead changes and, and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a typical Met Cardinal game where no one was given an inch and teams were coming back. And, um, you know, I, I can remember uh, a lot of big hits in that game and, and the fact that it ended on a grand slam, uh, <laughs> and I, I'm not sure if that was an extra inning game or if that's, yep. uh, tenth, uh, tenth inning. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So uh, <laughs> you know the inning started with you know Jesse was Jesse Roscoe was pitching for the Mets who at that time you know he was their he was their guy you know he was their great relief pitcher and you know he started that inning and he was having some trouble throwing strikes and uh, you know he gave up. Uh, not sure if he. I, I think Pendleton and Pagnozzi got base hits off of him, and there might have been a walk mixed in there. That's right, Pagnozzi. Yep. So the bases were loaded, and nobody was out. And I, I come strolling up there, and I knew that. I mean, for for, for me and the type of hitter I was, this this was like money in the bank. You know, it mm. was. You know, I'm I'm going up home plate thinking this game's over because. Number one, uh, you know, he was having some control problems. He couldn't, he couldn't get his, you know, he was, a, he had a great slider. Which, you know, looking back on it, it was almost like a, like a hybrid pitch between a curve and a slider. And, uh, but he was having trouble throwing that for straight. So I knew, I knew, me coming up there that I was, you know, if you can ever be certain you're going to get a fastball, I was pretty <laughs> certain at that point I was going to get a first pitch fastball to hit so my my only thing that I had in my mind was something up in the strike zone that I could 
know, it, it was just pandemonium broke out after that. You know, people <laughs> that had their seat cushions started, started winging them out onto the field like frisbees. And, you know, once a few of the knuckleheads did it, you know, now now it became like a like a snowstorm of white seat cushions <laughs> flying out everywhere. And actually, it it had happened earlier in the game where where a few fans had thrown them out and. Yeah, but th- this one kind of uh, this one kind of culminated with because it was uh, an extra inning win and <laughs> turned in, turned into a quite a debacle. It, it was it was a fun <laughs> night, that's for sure. <laughs> that's right. Jim Lindemann had hit a two-run double, and that caused a few dozen to cascade onto the field earlier. And uh, an amazing game, you know, your 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 arch enemy, your arch rival, and. Uh, coming back uh, all the way back uh, in that game, trailing uh, at one point, uh, trailing early uh, five to nothing. You ended up with a six, your only career grand slam, and six RBIs that night, and uh, prompted the uh, the seat uh, the seat cushion uh, uh, torrent uh, to uh, to fall on Bush Stadium. And uh, uh, Jack, uh, you know, the Hall of Famer uh, Jack Buck, the icon that he was, and uh, I guess his comment was, "They could have it again tomorrow if they collect them and give them out again." souvenir and more valuable now with your signature at uh and uh world series that year uh the the kirby pocket led minnesota twins and uh again uh all the way to a seventh game in 1987 and uh i guess a different form of heartbreak in that series but once again a fabulous world series that year that uh, that, that uh, you were part of with uh with a couple of great teams that uh, that went at it with uh, with with the twins who were kind of a, an up-and-coming team at the time that uh, make, making an impact, and uh, your established Cardinal team with a core group, but many of them have been there for all three of the uh, the World Series uh, clubs of the eighties. Yeah, that was that was a, a great series. What what was kind of weird about that series was that that was during a time in baseball where uh, they couldn't figure out how to determine home field advantage for the World Series. So. Um, they just decided they were going to go every other year. So we had the misfortune of uh, this was the American League year to be that home field advantage. So if you remember that series, every uh, every game was won by the home team. That's right. Yes. So uh, <laughs> yeah. you know we just kind of had the misfortune that we didn't have the extra game at home because uh, as beat up as we were. Uh, Jack Clark was out. Terry Pendleton was out. Uh, you know, that's taking 200 RBIs out of our lineup. And we still swept them at home. So, uh, you know, Tom, Tom Lawless had a huge home run off Frank Viola in one of our home games. And, um, you know, it, it was just, uh, it, was a, it was a good series, a uh, hard-fought series. But uh, um, during their uh, late-season run, uh, the Twins were,
then, of course, uh, once again, the, the ironies that can uh, follow uh, the path of, uh, of a player in professional sports uh, was really, I, I guess you could say, a heartbreak. Uh, was a fateful uh, moment, uh, April of 1988, April 22nd, 1988. And not only traded, but traded to the team that you battled in that World Series for uh, one of the key guys, a guy, uh, Tom Bernanski. And uh, your reaction, getting called in, Whitey Herzog, general manager Dow Maxville, the investment of your time over a decade in the organization, and um, it, it had to come somewhat as a shock to you uh, at the time that uh, you were going to be moving on from St. Louis. Uh, that, that had to be devastating for you, Tom. Yeah, it was. It was a shock. We, we had, uh, that was the last year of uh, a four-year contract that I had signed with the Cardinals, and we were, uh, by we, I, my agent and, and I were in uh, some preliminary discussions about Finding another contract there, and you know, had really uh, didn't have any inkling that uh, that a, a trade might be in the works. Uh, you know, we had lost Jack Clark, the free agency, so there was there was a, a you know, we weren't a we weren't a power hitting team as it was, but then to lose your your main power hitter was, uh, you know, that was a big blow for us. You know, they had gone out and signed Bob Horner, who, hmm. you know, had, had his heyday with the Braves and then went to Japan and hit a lot of home runs. But, you know, as good of a guy as Bob Horner was and as good a hitter as he was, you know, he, he was at the end of a, end of his career. So he turned, uh, you know, turned out that he wasn't going to be the answer. So the Cardinals uh, made the decision that, that I was the expendable guy because they had some, they had a young infielder that they felt was ready for the big leagues. Uh, uh, and they also had Jose Okendo, who was our uh, utility guy. So, you know, they felt like they were covered at second base, and, and they used me as trade bait to, to get a power hitter, Tom Bernanski. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can't blame them. You know, it's a business. You do what you have to do to, to maintain your team or to make it better, and... Uh, it didn't make it any easier for me because, you know, it, it, it came out of the blue. I didn't, I wasn't expecting it. You know, I had hopes of, of playing my whole career in St. Louis. Um, so it was a shock. But, uh, you know, things move on. The game moves on. And I, you know, by the end of that 88 season, I had become very, very close with uh, some guys on the Twins, you know, Gary Gaetti is one of my best friends hmm. my whole career. Yeah. And uh, Greg Gagney, the shortstop up there, another good friend. So, you know, it, baseball's a fraternity. So no matter where you're at, you know, you, you develop uh, kinships and friendships. And uh, so, you know, it turned out to be a, a move that, you know, started out with, with a, leaving a sour taste in my mouth but ended up, And uh, winding down the, the the final years of your career, you had spent uh, some time there that, that year um, in the American League and back in the National League. You, you got to play for the Phillies. You got to play you know, about seventy miles from your home, Lancaster. And uh, strangely enough, at the, the the very end of your career, uh, spent time with the the dreaded and hated Mets, and actually uh, contributed and, and helped the Mets uh, down 
they, they, they didn't win the division that year, but helped them uh, down through the stretch. So the twists of baseball, if you ever thought maybe I'd be putting on that Met uniform at the end of my career, that would have come as a shock to you probably for most of your career to think ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, can, I would never envision myself uh, becoming a Met. But, uh, <laughs> right. You know, again, you know, it was uh, it, it turned out to be a real uh, positive experience for me. Again, great friendship. Uh, Howard Johnson and and uh, you know, guys like that, and uh, Gary Templeton was was there at the end of his career. So we we kind of got to reunite after you know starting our careers with the Cardinals, and you know it, I I I think it was a, a good experience for me, and um, I did help hit a big home run in their in their you yeah. know, my first game as a Met. So that was kind of a good way to start things, and. Yeah, I enjoyed being teammates with Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry and and the whole gang. But you know, really, uh, at, the Mets were in a dysfunctional period at, at that time. You know, they they you know this whole the whole situation with Greg Jeffries. They weren't sure what to do with him. They they didn't like him at second base, and but they liked his bat and didn't know where to play him. And you know, it, it was to get thrust into the middle of that. Uh, it, was, it was almost like being put in the middle of a family feud, and, mm. and uh, you know, I, it, it, it wasn't a great situation for me. But uh, you know, I, I put up with it, and then, and then it got to the point where they just made the decision they were going to play Jeffries at second base, and and that's that, you know that's when I kind of got mad about it because uh, I felt like it was, I was wasting my time being there, and I didn't want to sit and watch him play second base, and. Uh, so the the Mets ended up releasing me in the second year of that uh, that stint, and um, and that's when I ended up signing with the Giants and ending my career with uh, San Francisco, which is kind of ironic because hmm. you know way way back at the beginning of this interview I talked that's about right. the, Gi- the Giants were my favorite team <laughs> growing up, so yep. you know I ended my career with my favorite team. That was pretty cool. So whatever. Yeah. You, you really ran the gamut after, uh, obviously, your, your long tenure with the Cardinals, you, the team closest to your original home, the team that you favored growing up, your most hated rival. Uh, you got to see a little bit of everything there uh, down through the final years of your career, Tom, ironically enough. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I wanted to keep playing. You know, I, I, wanted, I felt like, I mean, I was 35 when yeah. When my career ended, and I, I, I was really trying to, uh, you know, extend it by a few years, and uh, but that didn't work out. You know? And then I, I had a devastating Achilles injury uh, in the off season after that last year, so that that kind of sealed my fate. You know, I, I knew that it was I was, probably wasn't going to be able to come back from that. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, I had a good run. Uh, almost a 13-year big league career, and you know, experienced just about everything a player can experience. You know, the highs and the lows, and the, mm. the friendships, and uh, so I have no regrets really mm. looking back on it. And Dell also had a long uh, career uh, subsequent to that, and uh, success uh, particularly in the Atlantic League with uh, the Lancaster Barnstormers right there in Lancaster. Uh, managing, uh, obviously invested in the game and uh, being able to be in a position to instruct uh, 
You did a book called A View from Second Base about baseball, not surprisingly, fundamentals and strategy. And also had the unique opportunity, Tom, of uh, managing uh, your son. Yeah, that was great. I mean, I, I loved managing. That, that was, uh, you know, my, my goal was to manage in the big league. And, uh, you know, when an opportunity came uh, to manage the Barnstormers in, in their inaugural season in the Atlantic League, I, I jumped at it because I felt like it was going to give me some good experience that, that I could move on to uh, an affiliated team from there and work my way up to the big league. But, uh, and that's, that's basically how things started. You know, I stayed two years in Lancaster. We won a championship that the second year I was there. And then uh, I got an opportunity to manage for the Washington Nationals, yep. uh, one of their low uh, A clubs. Uh, but then they kind of unexplicably uh, let me go after the first year with, with that really – uh, any explanation, and uh, you know, after that, it was. Uh, I found it uh, difficult to to get an affiliated job. I ended up uh, going back to the Barnstormers and helping out Vaughn Hayes, who was managing at the time. And then Vaughn was dismissed, and, and I was rehired to manage the Barnstormers for a couple of years. And and then, uh, you know, that was the end of it. For me. And. Uh... Looking at uh, at your time uh, in in baseball, and uh, you paid the price as far as uh, you know the the whole where are they now aspect of when we have guys uh, play with us here on the game people play. I I noted that you've had both knees replaced, so I guess that's a product of playing in all those cookie cutter artificial turf National League stadiums. That was the that was the thanks that you got. You've had both knees replaced now as a relatively young man. Yeah, that was. Uh... That was good. that was inevitable for me, you know. During my career, I had I had uh, I think three or four times when my knees were scoped for uh, torn cartilage, and you know, it comes, there comes a point when you you don't have cartilage in there anymore that you know you can only you can only tolerate that for so long as an older man because of the pain and and the uh, loss of mobility and so forth. So yeah, about uh, about ten years ago, I, I decided to have my knees replaced, and and that's worked out well. I mean, it's going great. So hmm. no regrets in that area either. Hmm. Absolutely, and, uh, and we also uh, be remiss uh, if I let you get away without uh, talking about the fact that you and Ozzy Smith. Uh, the great Hall of Fame shortstop, you were the premier double play combination uh, in the middle of the diamond for the Cardinals. The experience of playing with the Wizard truly was a Wizard at that position. And next to him was a guy who retired with the, as I mentioned earlier, the highest fielding percentage in the history of baseball when he retired at second base. You guys were a pretty formidable duo up the middle. It must have been a lot of fun spending about a decade playing with, uh, with, uh, with the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> he would take more ground balls than just about anybody, every day. I mean, he would work, you know, work all the angles, all the short hops, all the throws, so that uh, these plays that he pulled off in the game, hmm. um, you know, he had he had actually envisioned them in practice. Uh, so, you know, he, he uh, he's one of the hardest workers I, I've ever seen. But ironically, the, the fact that he was so great, I think... Uh, 
and yet never won a gold glove. And I, and I yeah. think part of that, part of that was because Ozzy was so great that that it was easy to overlook me. And the other, you know, the other part of that equation is, you know, I played uh, during an era where there were some really, really great second base. You know, Manny Trio, Joe Morgan, Ryan Sandberg. So, uh, you know, the gold gloves were. That was a hard thing to come by at that position back in back in the day. Hmm. And absolutely the case. And um, I note also that uh, uh, you've uh, now obviously uh, very much invested in your family, your your, your children, your grandchildren. Uh, time for recreation uh, with uh, with uh, you know, your golf game, your hunting, and uh, oh by the way that. Uh, you married to your wife Kim forty two years. God bless you there. Your uh, your childhood sweetheart all the way back, I guess, to the junior prom, and uh, now you've got uh, the time to uh, to really reflect and 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 spend time and enjoy your family. and And I know that uh, that that God's been a very uh, important uh, factor in your life, Tom, to have you deal with everything that you have dealt with in your life. And uh, seems like life is pretty good now. They report to Cardinal fans and baseball fans here on the games people play that that life is good for uh, for you at 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 this point. I mean, I, I've been—I've really been blessed. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, my my story is one of uh, you know really uh, emerging from uh, the, the small rural town in, in Pennsylvania, like I said before, and hmm. and uh, being able to enjoy a, a great career with one of the great organizations in the game. Um, yeah, I have a lot to be thankful. And uh, baseball was. Uh, in the immortal words of whoever it was, baseball been bit of it. Again. <laughs> That's right. The great Garrett Morris says the great Chico yeah. Asuelar on Saturday Night Live. Y- yes, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 is, that is correct. And uh, also a quote here. We as we wrap up, I've got I always wrap up with a couple of quotes about uh, about the uh, the subject. But I I love one of your quotes as as one of the acknowledged baseball heartthrobs of the eighties uh, that you've been amazed with. All those teenage girls that have grown up now that uh, have come back uh, to get your autograph uh, o- over the years there. Uh, that, that's been something to you know, reconnecting with some of those at some of those uh, autograph sessions to see them all lined up that uh, were big Cardinal fans and big Tom Herb fans back in the day. Every, everybody's a little older and maybe a little wiser, but still having fun. <laughs> a little wiser and a little wider. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I went through that phase early in my career where I. Uh, you know, I permed my my hair, and I was still blonde at that time. So had I had the curls. Had the, yeah, I had the blonde blonde curly hair, and, and <laughs> yeah, the, the young girls they liked that. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, there, there were a lot of a lot of teenage fans, and uh, <laughs> and now now when I go back for autograph sessions, they're all grown up, and uh, you know some of them aren't looking so good, but <laughs> but they're 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 sure nice, and they have kind hearts, and. and uh, it was a lot of fun, uh, you know, going through all that too. It, it, indeed. Well, uh, a couple of quotes here: "Cool hand, Luke. Cool as a cucumber. Fiercely competitive." Andy Van Slyke, your former teammate, had had commented. Uh, we we talked about some of the comments from uh, Hall of Famer Whitey Herzog, uh, and uh, um, about you with the, your nature always being that of a team concept, a player that valued winning above everything, and uh, most intelligent player that he ever managed. Always knew he was my type of player, 
from day one. And uh, the quiet heart and soul and the gritty competitor that epitomized the overachieving clubs of Whitey Herzog and Whitey, Whitey Ball with those three pennants and, uh, and that, uh, that world, world championship. Some high praise indeed from uh, a man who had such a great impact on, on your career, Tom. And uh, certainly speaking the truth about you and what you were all about. And, oh, by the way, all fans of Launch Angle and current baseball, we've talked to a guy here on the games people play <laughs> that today who had 627 career walks as opposed to 584 strikeouts. I think that's a good way to... Uh, to really personify the guy that you were and and what you were all about, the contact was valued then, folks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's one of the statistics that I'm most proud of that I, that I walked more than I struck out because that uh, that's really unheard of in in uh, in a lot of eras in the game, but especially in today's era yeah. where where strikeouts are so prevalent. But yeah, I always felt like uh, you know what else was there. But winning the game, you know, I I, I always wanted to, uh, you know, the the quote from Whitey is probably the one I'm most proud of. That you know that, you know, I played the game to win, and so you know I was a guy that would hit a ground ball to the second baseman to move a runner from second to third with nobody out. I mean that that that's mm. the way I was taught to play, and and uh, and I think the winning teams that I played on attest to that fact that uh, you know you need guys like that to win and um, you know I, I, that's one of the things I am proud of that uh, that I can be remembered as that type of player and uh, c- congratulations uh, with your uh, the election to the uh, St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame uh, a final word from you Tom about the Cardinals it's acknowledged a lot of people say America's greatest baseball town is St. Louis as a Red Sox fan, I had a great experience when I was out there for games three and four. Uh, the fans were, were so welcoming, uh, and, and the sportsmanship that was displayed, I just think of the people that sat around me as the Red Sox broke their 86-year curse. Uh, message to those, uh, those great uh, St. Louis baseball fans here as, as we uh, conclude on the games people play. Well, I mean, my message is one of gratitude. You know, I... I uh... You know, I just feel blessed that I was that uh, a small part of of a great cardinal history and a great tradition, and really looking forward to uh, this August when I get inducted into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. You know, who who would ever thought that uh, you know I, I would be enshrined with with the greats of cardinal history? You know, that that just blows me away. But you know, I, I have a lot of uh, love in my heart for the. Uh, you know the great Cardinal Nation out there, and and just feel like I said, feel blessed to have been a small part of that, and uh, a part that uh, will be remembered. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it was uh, it was a great time to be a Cardinal. You know, I think those teams of the '80s, the Cardinal teams of the '80s, uh, uh, the, the fans of those teams, um, you know, they spoiled us. You know, mm. we were. Uh, you know, we went to the World Series three times in a six-year span, and and uh, I, I think if we'd have been able to, if we'd have won all three of those World Series, I think we we would have gone down as one of the great teams in history. But yeah. unfortunately, with the uh, you know the circumstances, with the bad call in '85, and then the injuries in '87, uh, kind of uh, kept us from doing that. But uh, still, uh, still a great honor to play on those great teams. 
Well, it's, I found the quote from you. You said, and probably more than once, there's nothing like being a Cardinal, and uh, you personified uh, what that organization uh, has has been all about uh, for time eternal, but particularly uh, the the face of that organization during uh, the great uh, the, the great Whitey Ball era of the '80s. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. This has really been a pleasure today, and uh, you've played the game well with us here, sir, on the games people play. All the best to you and your family, and enjoy your time and enjoy that moment when you go back to St. Louis for that St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame induction. All right, Bernie, thank you for having me. It was uh, great talking baseball with you. And uh, just, uh, like I said, looking forward to August and and going out for that ceremony. It's going to be a great day. Tom Herr, our guest here this week on the Games People Play. And I want to thank Tom. want to thank executive producer Andy Bernstein, our post-production man Brad Kastnett, and the folks at Vintage Brand for all they do to make the games people play possible. So for Tom Herr, our guest today, this is Bernie Corbett saying, play the game well, everyone. <laughs>